Welcome to the Success in South Carolina podcast, where we will be hearing the untold stories of success from people in our community. These successful neighbors of ours will share their real-life philosophies and solutions for success to inspire us, educate us, and help us find peace, joy, and love, along with a purpose, a mission, and a vision for our lives. And I'm your host, Jonathan Peoples. Our guest today lives in Columbia, South Carolina. He's the vice president of business development at Perks, a company that helps lead the way in employee engagement, benefits, and HR technology. He is a founding member of the Outlier Project, a community for professional development for those who believe success is found by showing up differently. And speaking of different, our guest is a literal rock star. Most importantly, he is the genuine article. He brings laughter and a positive energy that brightens up the lives of those around him. He's also a personal branding consultant, and he likes to say it's not who you know, it's not what you know, but it's who knows you. And he's a great person to know, and you will want to get him to know you too. That was a tongue twister. Welcome to the show, my new friend, Sims Tillerson. Hey, Sims. Thanks so much for having me today, brother. You know, I've listened to, I've talked to you on the phone, and I've listened to a few of your podcast episodes, but... We need to get you a job in radio, man. You got the voice for it. We need to get you on soon. Well, I appreciate it. If you if you know anybody that can help me out with that, let me know. But uh, but let's jump into you, man. First thing, you're a personal brand consultant. What do you do? Who could benefit from those services? Yeah, for sure. So the way that the way that I approach kind of the personal brand consulting today is twofold. So I I work with a lot of B two B employee benefit sales teams to help coach them up in social selling, personal branding, primarily through LinkedIn. Um, And then I get a lot of people who are either making career transitions or who have just recently lost a job who want to be kind of more out there in social media. So typically I do like hour long trainings and I have some guides and things that I've built that people can buy. So just maybe one small tip, if somebody's in the middle of looking for a job, what's something they can do? So if you're looking for a job, you don't have a job right now, you can message me on LinkedIn and I will give you my personal branding guide for free um, to help kind of jumpstart your journey. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, They do that on LinkedIn. Look up Sims Tillerson. And Tillerson is spelled T-I-L-L-I-R-S-O-N. That caught me at first, Sims. That caught me at first. Ariel had to spell that for me. (laughs) Everybody wants to drop an E. Where that second eye is, and I get it. It feels strange to do the two eyes. I know. It's one of those weird English rules, though, I guess. Uh, You know, the I before E rule. So we just throw an E in anywhere we can if there's an I there, too. Oh, I know. It'd be a lot easier for me if if it was spelled with an E and not another I. (laughs) So, uh, okay, I'm going to call you on something. Last week, you posted and you asked people what their dream job was, Sims. Yeah. Then you kind of wimped out and said, I don't have one. Come on, Sims. Come on, open up. If you can do anything for a living and get paid, make great money doing it, what would you do? It's tough, man. I think, you know, when I was younger, it would have definitely been be a touring musician. 100%. um, That would have been my answer. And I think today I've gotten used to having a house that I love and being able to spend time with my wife and my son and my dog. So maybe... If I really like gun to my head had to answer, it would be owning a recording studio so that I could sit in on sessions um, and play on people's songs. But 
you know, it'd be like right down the road from my house. Yeah. So did you do that local musician thing when you were in college? Like, tell us, tell me about your musical career. Yeah. So like, like many people in the South, my musical career started in church when I was like 12. Um, I was a classically trained pianist and somebody put an acoustic guitar in my hand and it kind of took off from there. So through middle school and high school, I played locally in Georgia, primarily um, as a solo artist and then with hardcore bands, punk bands, all kind of stuff. And then during college, I didn't have any money. So I found out quick, hey, I can play bars around Atlanta when I was in school at Georgia Tech and just play these, you know, yacht rock songs in these bars for a few hours every night. And I made really good money doing it. Got me kicked out of college in pretty short order, playing bars till 5 a.m. But we had a ton of fun doing it, man. And then after I finally graduated from college, I really kind of hit it in earnest and toured all around the Southeast as a solo act. And then have a little band here in Columbia that I would open for some big names for. And today, um, the only thing I do is I play little local events where I'll headline. Um, and I sit in for a a local band called Henry Luther and the blackouts, um, on electric guitar and piano only for local shows though. If they go, if they go anywhere outside of my little radius in the Midlands, I don't join them for the show. Yeah. Well, I caught some of your videos on YouTube. Uh, do you have anywhere else where you've got some of these hidden gems? Yeah, man. So I've got a few albums out on Apple Music, Spotify, even like Napster and TouchTunes jukeboxes. So anywhere you listen to music, you can find mine. Napster. Now that's a blast from the past. Right? I didn't even <laughs> know they were still around. <laughs> I assume we'll be pirating this music. You can. I'm sure you can find it on LimeWire if you if you need the real old school feel. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so tell me about the Outlier Project. What is that? It's a it's an interesting little little deal that I got involved in mostly because it was like like minded individuals who wanted to go about attracting talent to their businesses in a very different way. Um, and what it's become for me now. And candidly, I'm not involved as involved in it on a day to day basis as I'd like to be has become kind of a mastermind. So we bring in these incredible speakers, Olympians, authors, uh, famous athletes, and they, you know, they'll they'll speak over Zoom with us and teach us things. And then, you know, I have access to the entire community to bounce ideas off of. And it's really helpful for me because I'm in leadership at a really, really young startup. So I don't have recruiters and seasoned HR people to lean on when I'm hiring people. So I, I leverage the people at the outlier project to kind of help, you know, validate ideas or help me get better in the hiring process. That's awesome. Uh, talk about the value of a mastermind. What, what, what drew you to that or what drove you to start some kind of mastermind group? Yeah. So it was actually the, the head honcho, Scott McGregor, um, is a guy that I've, I've always respected and have known from afar via social media. And he, he just reached out and asked me to, to help him start it up. And when he started giving me the names of the other people that were involved, I'm like, Oh, I know that guy. I work with that guy. Like this lady is fantastic. And I could already see what, how the community was going to function 
and kind of the values that were were going to be held within it. So it was a really easy decision for me. So I see your your job situation has changed a lot throughout the pandemic. Can you speak to how do you keep stability in the midst of this unstable environment and culture right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's tough, man. I've, um, I've left jobs. I have, you know, on my own volition, I have involuntarily left jobs during the pandemic. Um, I'm right there with you, man. I can feel you. Yeah. It's the nature of the beast though. Um, when I left, I worked for Unum group and colonial life for years and that's a fortune 250 company, right? So extremely stable. And I was so bored with it during the pandemic. And there were a lot of changes that, that happened. I've said, I'm going to get into the startup world, but I knew what I was walking into. Right. I knew, all right, I'm going to go have fun. I'm going to be able to lead, do some interesting things, but you're literally selling to keep the payroll going like week to week. So, you know, it's not stable. Uh, and I think walking into it eyes wide open helped me. Now it's not to say like when I got fired from a head of sales job in January, when my son was two weeks old, it was terrifying. Um, right. And that plays but, a little bit of a toll on your self image, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Um, because becoming a father, you know, I like almost doubled down on the idea that I, I have to be the, the provider, if you will, even though yeah. my, my wife, my wife is on pace to out earn me this year. She's crushing it. Um, so it's not like I really have to do that. It's just something that I guess is so deeply ingrained in my identity. You've got a burden of the responsibility on your shoulders, right. you feel. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, tell us about this new role at, at Perks. Tell us a little bit about what you do or what the company does. Yeah, man. So we do a lot of different things, but what I'm focused on day to day is leading kind of our HR tech division. And so we have this platform and native mobile app that functions as the hub for every benefit an employer offers their people. And then there's also an employee engagement tool on the back end. So virtual live events and kind of push notifications, emails, texting. So it's a way to provide inclusive employee engagement for teams that are not in the office anymore. Teams that may be spread out or hybrid uh, and really just helping to control the messaging and the culture around benefits to ensure that teams are able to attract and retain the talent they want. That seems like that's super important nowadays because of everyone's, uh, there's so many companies working remote or hybrid. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, what does that look like? How, how does that play out? Yeah. So it's, it's been really interesting because we have like, we have clients with 20,000 employees who you think, all right, automatically, you know, they're in 50 countries and they're all working remote. They're a great fit. But we've also seen, you know, little credit unions with like 35 employees buy into thing, buy into this. So it's been really interesting to see that regardless of your industry or your size segment, that everybody's kind of facing the same challenges. We are all competing for a small group of really talented individuals and you know, the, the scales have shifted in favor of employees um, in, right. in the last two years, which I think is fantastic. But it, it puts a burden on businesses to be able to say, hey, here's everything we do for you and, you know, keep people happy. And it's funny how so many of the companies are still playing the same game they were playing five years ago yeah. when the rules have totally changed. We're in a new game now, right? We really are. And I think, you know, 
a lot of those companies that you're referring to are holding on to the idea that things are going to swing back in their favor. And they may to a degree, but I think we've witnessed, you know, a really tremendous shift in the favor of employees. And I don't think we're ever going to go back to the way things were. Right. Right. Well, let's make, let's pivot here real quick, Sims, and, and yeah. stop talking about what, what Sims does and more about who Sims is. Let's start with this. Our show's called Success in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. What is Sims' definition of success? Yeah. So I think that that, that has been fluid for me, and I've started to pin it down um, really over the last year. So I've always, I've always been motivated by money. Um, and I always thought that, you know, the pursuit of money was one that would, would bring me happiness. And, you know, I'll be frank here. I make a lot more money than I need. Um, I'm very fortunate, very blessed. I have everything I want, but that's not success. Um, I've found that success for me really is flexibility and balance. So the ability to own my time to a degree, um, while I still, I still do work for someone, so I don't a hundred percent own my time, but finding the balance of, okay, maybe I'm not going to make X amount this year, but I can make 15% less than that work less play music, hang out with my kid, hang out with my wife, take my dog to the river, do all these things that really do bring me joy in understanding that there is no like work-life balance, as it were, that a, lo- that a lot of people put, at least not for me. There is just this this integration of everything that I love and everything I do to keep food on the table for the family, right? They have to play in harmony together every day. So I'll give you an example. Um, when I was in corporate, you know, I had to be in the office every day before eight, right? So today at 8 a.m., um, I was sitting in the parking lot of the gym talking to my dad on the phone, just um, you know, shooting the breeze with him, hanging out, got in a great workout, came back to the house, took my dog on a walk, you know, play with my son for a little bit, made a pot of coffee, you know, and through all this, I can answer emails. I can respond to urgent calls if I need to. And then for the rest of the day, you know, I'm, I'm slammed in podcasts and in meetings and stuff. And it's, you know, for me, that's the balance I want. That's what success feels like to me. It's not money. It's, I can do everything I want to in a day, still get my job done. So it's more about freedom instead of money. Yeah. When did, how did that transition happen for you, Sims, from chasing money to chasing freedom? Well, I think it was, you know, um, it was after I made my, the, my first year making a hundred grand in a year. Cause that was always my mark. I was like, cause when I got out of college, I made $30,000 a year and lived with some of my buddies. And I thought I was, Big time, man, Um, because <laughs> I could afford beer whenever I wanted to and could afford to eat out whenever I wanted to. And as, you know, life changed, r- roommates dwindled, houses get bigger. I decided, all right, once I make a hundred grand, like I'm I'm in the money and I'm going to be really living. And, you know, the the first year I did that, I had been I had a clinical case of burnout. Um, surprise. <laughs> and, you know, I was not happy. I was working my ass off all the time and really, you know, was not bringing my best self to my wife and was really allowing the stress of selling and of producing and of making more money to really affect how I was when I was not working. 
Um, so that's when it really clicked for us. And, you know, between my therapist and my wife, they got my head right that I needed to, to really strike some kind of balance. So how do you strike a balance there? How, how does that happen, Sims? Because it seems like the chase for that success, if it's, if it's money, even if it's freedom, can sometimes be all-consuming. How do you strike that balance? Yeah, so I'm I'm really intentional with my calendar now is the way that is what's worked for me. Um, and I actually this morning posted a little ebook I made on LinkedIn for everybody to read. And it has like a sample calendar in it. And I just commit to myself that I'm not going to spend more than eight hours down here in my office in any given day, no matter what. And that I always make time to do the things I want to do. Um, and there are a few things. So I try to work out every day for an hour, um, whether it, even if it's just like walking my dog, right? Doesn't have to be the gym. I experience music with my kid every day for an hour. So I'll play guitar with him or just listen to music with him. And I play video games every day for an hour too, because that's like my escape. Um, so I just gone to, these are the non-negotiables in my life that are going to happen. Like I'll get my job done around it, but I'm not I'm not going to sit down here for 12 hours a day anymore because that's what I was doing in like the pursuit of more money and more sales. I'm like, all right, well, I'll just hammer the phones. I'll send out, you know, 200 more emails today and it's just not sustainable. So it seems like you've got a pretty strong regimen there. Are you, do you create habits surrounding those things? Do you do the gym at a certain time every day? Do you do the music or is it just kind of, these are my three or four non-negotiables. I'm getting them done every day. Yeah. It's so it's the latter. So, you know, I've experimented and really before I had a kid, you know, I would go, I would go to the gym every day at 6 AM. Um, you know, I would prospect at the same time every day, my wife and I, you know, we go have lunch a few times a week at the same time, whatever it may be, it was way easier to regiment before I had a kid. So I've had to adapt a little bit. So I'm typically um, an afternoon workout guy. Just whenever I have a lull in calls, I'll sneak out for 30 minutes or an hour and hit the gym. But like today I knew we had the podcast um, this morning and I was like, All right, I want to, you know, I want to have my energy up. I want to be ready for this. So no, no, I need to hit the workout earlier. And we'll do, you know, music time with my kid is always at night, right before he goes to bed. That's easy. Um, but like my me time, my video game time, I just get it in when I can, man. Because there are some nights after I put my kid to bed where I, I have stuff for the job that I have to follow up on because of because I'm so like non-negotiable about spending time with him. Um, so that that part can be still tough to strike a balance. To say, all right, I'm putting it down. Gotcha. How does that me time play into your success? So you may not know it just in talking to me, but I'm a I'm an introvert that, you know, I play an extrovert on TV, uh, as I'll say. <laughs> I feel so you. I, I, lo I love people. I really do. But the course of my job every day, I just talk to people all day long. It is draining for me. Um, so to bring my best self to work and to be my best self as a husband and a father, I have to have that me time every day. Um, and my wife knows that and respects it. And so we, you know, we give that to each other typically at night. 
um, spend time alone. And like I said, for me, it's, it's video games as a way to just shut my brain off and chill and, um, just relax. What kind of games do you like? So I'm really into NBA 2K. I'm playing the new Saints Row right now. A lot of fun. And then the other one that I can't put down, I've been playing since I was like 15 years old is the Halos. So I still play all the old Halo games online. Love those. Um, but it's just, it's just so much fun for me. Great escape for me. Gotcha. That's awesome. So let's jump into this, Sims. If you, uh, if you had to choose one thing to pass along as your key piece of advice for our listeners about success, what would that one thing be? Yeah, I think that for me, it would be that the feeling of success doesn't come from within. So that's how I feel like I was always chasing success through money is like that I'm going to validate myself. Um, and my feelings of success in terms of the balance that I found now are because I can spend time with the people I love. So I think that that's the, the shift I would, I would give myself, you know, my 18 year old self or whatever. Help me, help me understand that Sims. Cause that seems a little bit over my head and maybe I'm just dumb, but when you say the, the feeling of success doesn't come from within. Yeah. Break that down for me. Yeah. So I don't believe, at least for me, and it may be because I've got PTSD and panic disorder and all this other stuff. I don't believe that I can find this freedom, this feeling of success just within myself. I believe that I have to find it in in other people and in the time I spend with them. So it is the sacrificing commission, for instance, in my role to go be outside with my dog. Um, that I find my happiness and my sense of fulfillment and my success. So I don't think, you know, a life spent trying to find that success from within myself, whether it's a sense of validation from what I've accomplished or how much money I've made, I don't think that would ever bring me fulfillment. So when you're, when you're saying doesn't come from within, I think some people initially, like when we're younger, Sims, and you mentioned this, are chasing success on everything outside, everything exterior, the money, sure. the the car, the nice place. And then maybe they make a shift to say, you know what? I'm successful because I'm happy and I love myself. Yeah. But you're saying that there's even another level to it. It's not just within me. It's within my relationships with other right. people that I find that. Okay. Yes, Exactly. Gotcha. You, okay, bro that, you broke it down much more eloquently than I did. Well, I have to do that, Sims, because I I I think on a fifth grade level, not really, but I I if people if people talk in concepts that are way too high for me, I'm I have to ask, and I'm not afraid to ask the dumb questions to help me understand it. I'd rather understand it and seem stupid than seem very smart and just nod my head and be like, oh, that makes sense. Uh, hey, that's fair. That's fair enough, man. <laughs> so uh, let's jump into a little bit about your story, Sims. Yeah, uh, I feel like sometimes the greater success comes from the greater struggles in life. And really, the greater the struggle, the greater the victory. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of those struggles during our call, and you've even shared some on LinkedIn. Can you share some of those struggles with our listeners and what you've been through and kind of what you've overcome? Yeah, for sure. So I think the major struggle challenge that led to all the other ones is that 
I was uh, sexually abused when I was a kid for years. Um, and really, you know, I think it was my adolescent brain protecting me really walled that stuff off. Um, and then, you know, I, I didn't think about it, but I was, I was always a little different than other kids. I struggle with depression and anxiety from a really early age, obviously, as a result of what happened to me. Um, and to try to kind of quiet my brain, you know, I started drinking and using drugs when I was about 13 years old and kind of kept up that pattern to keep my brain quiet um, for a really long time. And there's one day when I was 19, I was sitting in the parking lot of Georgia dorm at Presbyterian College in Clinton, South Carolina, after I've been kicked out of Georgia Tech for the second time. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks, like all these memories started washing over me of uh, some of the evils that were perpetrated against me. And the first thing I did is I as I started my truck up, I went and bought a case of beer and I ate a ball of Coke. And I was like, I'm going to forget this again. Um but that was the cat was kind of out of the bag for me at that point. So, you know, I kept on, you know, selling drugs, doing drugs and drinking to kind of keep everything quiet. And eventually it, it all came to a head. Um, I was at a wedding in Columbia, a very nice wedding for a very influential local family. And I was literally just doing cocaine out in the open. Uh, and my wife was like, babe. I love you. I've put up with I put up with a lot of your bull, but I'm gonna leave you if you don't stop this. And so that started my journey to kind of getting clean. And by then, you know, I wasn't selling drugs anymore or anything like that. But I was a really high functioning addict. So I had a corporate job, but I would get drunk every night and I had a prescription for Vicodin and I did a lot of coke. Um so that was it's almost five years ago. Um that I stopped stopped the narcotics. So I've been clean from them for a little over five years. And really to make up for it, I started drinking more because I, you know, I was in sales and nobody really batted an eye at that. If we went to happy hour every day or whatever, it was really accepted. And um, that started to permeate some additional negativity into my life and to my marriage. So um, eventually I had to stop and it was, October 25th, 2018, I was playing a gig in the North Georgia mountains and blacked out during the gig and kind of came to sitting in the driver's seat of my truck with it running on the edge of a lake, smoking a cigarette. And that was it for me. I was just like, okay, I'm done. I'm never going to have a drink again. And I haven't. So that was, that was uh, the sobriety moment for me. So today, you know, I'm much more, I guess, in tune with my emotions. So I use therapy, use exercise, use my me time and a lot of medications <laughs> to keep me in the right space. But yeah, man, I've, I've kind of been through it. And it's funny because I grew up, I didn't grow up poor. Um, I grew up in a staunchly middle-class family, had a good upbringing. You know, I started working when I was young, but always had what we needed. And, um, I think a lot of people would be surprised by some of the things that I've been through, um, just because of what my upbringing was like, but yeah, uh, wild ride so far. And now you're even turning around and you, you are helping some people. Uh, I, I noticed that you're part of a, uh, what is it? Pathways to healing. Yep. 
So I serve on the board of directors for Pathways to Healing, um, and it's the focus of the organization is really trauma services for sex abuse survivors and their families and their loved ones. Um, So I think, you know, I didn't even tell my parents about my sex abuse until last year. And even, you know, we're almost 20 years removed from it. Um, The effect on them was tremendous. And so the ability for the loved ones of survivors to get trauma support, really incredible. Um, And then I know I posted about it the other day, but we also have a a very renewed focus. And I'm really bought into this on helping male survivors be able to tell their stories because it really is still as taboo as it is for a woman to come out and, and tell their story about being a survivor of SA. There is still some crazy stigma around men admitting it. So we're trying to kind of break down the walls and the barriers there as well. That's right. That's right. Because people feel like this is something that only happens to women. Yeah. And that even like, you know, I was a like 11 year old kid when this happened to me. And it's like we somehow think that men are supposed to be strong enough that it can't happen to us. And it's just. This is probably the wrong word, but it's hilarious that we have this like this stereotype built up that 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 can't happen to a male for whatever reason. So I've been I've been hopeful that sharing my story will help other people share theirs and really start to heal from the things that have happened to them. Maybe maybe you can't speak for all society Sims, but why do you feel like most men or may why didn't Sims speak up about it earlier? Yeah, I was. I was really scared to be viewed as weak or less than in some way, which is, I I don't know why. Um, I mean, most people have been really kind to me um, and really supportive of me since I've, I've spoken out about it. I mean, it also helps that I'm a 250 pound man covered in tattoos. People don't say a lot of mean things to me, but (laughs) right. Right. I don't know. It's a, it it was, it was something that I wasn't cognizant of, you know, why I felt that way. Do you feel like sometimes the victims of uh, of sexual abuse think that they're the ones that were at fault? That, yes. that they're yes, absolutely. And we, I mean, we've created a culture of victim shaming, especially for women. You know, if a woman is sexually assaulted, the first thing somebody asks her is what she was wearing, or if she had been drinking, right? And you know, it's not the same for men, but I think that victim shaming culture is just really widespread for anyone. And of course, as a, as an eleven year old boy, you've got to be thinking, "Who can I tell about this?" Right? But then you feel like you can't tell anyone about this. How does someone at that age speak up? Who do they go to? What what yeah. should they do? Well, I think you know, if knowing what I know now, I would have t- told my parents because I don't know what twisted reality I had in my head where I thought they would be mad at me or upset with me. But that's since telling them, you know, that's the only thing they've echoed to me is, God, I wish I, I wish we could have protected you. But more than that, I wish you had felt comfortable talking to us. So, you know, I encourage anybody, regardless of their age, you find somebody you trust that can help you. Um, and it can be your parent. It can be um, a teacher. It can be a church leader. You know, whoever it may be, you know, an, an adult definitely could have helped me right <laughs> at that time in my life 
I know that it is difficult sometimes coming out of uh, any trauma, any tragedy to gain perspective and say, well, I'm grateful because of where I am now. And here's things I learned from that. But what are, what do you feel like are some things that maybe you've taken from this that have made you a stronger person now, Sims? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest is, and I alluded to it earlier, is that everyone struggles. Everyone's struggles look, may look different, but there's um, there's an empathy that I gained through that trauma in understanding that people are fighting silent battles and we can't make assumptions of them because of that. And, you know, it's it difficult for me to say I'm truly grateful that it happened to me, but I wouldn't want to live if I could go back in time, I wouldn't want to live my life in another way because my struggles have shaped the man I am. Uh, and I don't know that I'd necessarily be as good of a, a human being as I am today if I hadn't, you know, been assaulted, been a drug dealer, been a drug addict. And I don't think I'd appreciate, you know, a really good cup of coffee or a, the first breeze of fall the way I do if I hadn't been through those things. It's amazing how things like this can give you that level of appreciation and give you a level of empathy for other people that's almost your superpower now, Sims. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny to say, but there are a lot of a lot of things that I went through that like could have killed me candidly. Um, so a lot of times when stress gets too much, I do have to remind myself like, hey, hey, man, you're on borrowed time. Like we weren't supposed to be around anymore. Just cool it. It's all good. That's a great outlook. Any other tips for our listeners? Uh, tips on success, maybe in your in your personal world in VP of business development for Perks. What are some things you've learned in the the sales or business development environment that you feel like, hey, here's a couple of tips that you can take with you to yeah. your job or your everyday life? Yeah. So uh, I'll I'll be repeating some of the things that. Ariel said in her episode with you, but I believe in them wholeheartedly. And that's that this is a quote from a song, but never compromise the art to make a crowd clap. And the, the way that I look at that is when I first started my sales career, I wanted to portray the right version of myself to every potential buyer to maximize my sales, even if it meant, you know, pretend, you know, covering up my tattoos, for instance. So people didn't know I had tattoos so I could appeal to straight laced old white dudes or whatever. Um, so I wasn't bringing my authentic self to the table because I thought that I would lose out on money if I did. And the greatest thing that I've done in my sales career, and it's funny because I've sold more since I started doing this, is be my real self, whether it's on social media, podcasts like this, or a call of the prospect. If somebody doesn't like my steez, doesn't like what I'm about, or I don't like what they're about, it would be a disservice to both of us for us to do business together. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to have fun. Um, so kind of shifting my perspective to, I want to bring my real self to the table at all times. And I want to be in this for the long game. Like when I make posts about being a recovering narcotics addict on LinkedIn, there's no doubt I alienate people who could have potentially bought from me in the short term. But I believe that, when we are authentic, we create a small number of raving fans instead of this huge number of, of lukewarm supporters, if you will. Um, so that's the advice that I would give to anyone is just be yourself, man. Um, don't compromise who you are. Don't compromise your morals to get a deal. 
and it'll play out for you in the long run. How do you get that, Sims? That seems like something that if there's one weakness, and I know I'm not a perfect person, I know I have weaknesses, but the one weakness that I know that I need to figure out more than anything is my need to have people like me. How do you overcome that, Sims? For me, it was easy um, because I just wasn't wasn't selling anything when I was trying to make everybody like me. So it was, you know, it was an act of self-preservation to bring my authentic self to the table. So then people can can see the unique you showing up differently, like the Outlier Project said. Exactly. And, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what you're selling, you will have, if you don't have one now, you will, a competitor come into the space that can duplicate your product or almost duplicate it. And so people still are going to buy from folks they know, like, and trust. No matter how much we might dislike that is true. Um, And for me, I have to be able to connect with people on a deep level for them to know me, like me, trust me more than the guy or gal competing with me for the same deal. And I've always heard phrases like that in sales. And I feel like maybe that's what, drew me towards if people buy from you when they know, like, and trust you, well, how can I get them to like me? Yeah. Right. So it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. And to me, you got to walk like you is like the last thing in that equation. Maybe Um, you let them, you put yourself out there so they can know you or feel like they know you and they decide if they like you or not. You don't have control over that part. And then the ones that do like you can grow to trust you eventually. I think that was, that was the hard thing for me though, is I was exactly like you're saying, I can make this person like me and you, you can, if you put on an act, right. Right. Um, But that just became difficult for me to maintain. And like I said, it, it never did. It never did equate to results for me. And I don't know if it's, I'm not as good of an actor as I think I am and people could see through it, but it just never did work out. And things in all aspects of my life have gotten better since I embraced my true real self. I appreciate you sharing that with us, Sims. Um, And I've, I've taken a lot from that. My apologies. My dogs are going off in the background there. No worries, man. (laughs) I have to keep muting it. Uh, Well, Sims, I, I, I feel like that uh, I've got a lot of great stuff from you today. The being authentic to yourself, being realizing that your success doesn't come from exterior things or this interior feeling, but maybe even just your relationship with others. Are other people better for the fact that I've been alive, right? And exactly. that I'm in their life. So at the end here, I like to ask people what they are promoting. What can we promote for you? What can our listeners benefit from? Whether it be your perks, whether it be your personal development stuff. Uh, can you share with us what what yeah. what are you promoting? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, always trying to sell for perks. So if you're a a listener that's in the HR space and you want to bring inclusive employee engagement to your team, get at me on LinkedIn. Um, and likewise, if you're a business to business salesperson or a job seeker, and you want to put yourself out there in a bigger way on social media to get noticed, hit me up on LinkedIn. Happy to help. Awesome. And can somebody, uh, Hook up with you on Halo too. 
I don't know what Halo is. Isn't that what you said you were playing? Halo? The game? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I, I like sometimes hear, hear social media platforms and I'm like, all right, I ha- I'm not on that one because I'm only on LinkedIn and TikTok. <laughs> yes, you can hook up with me on Xbox Live. Um, I have a randomly generated name. It is Exceeded Kitty 30. You can come game with me. <laughs> Exceeded Kitty 30. That is awesome, Sims. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you sharing with us today. And uh, you have a blessed day. Our listeners are going to be uh, going to be checking you out on LinkedIn and uh, hitting you up at Perks. Have a good one. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for having me. All right, listeners, let's get out there and make our world, our country, and our community a better place. When you succeed, we all succeed. And as always, this is a friendly reminder that the left lane is for passing. So speed up or move over. Thank you.